What's good, everybody? Welcome to the inaugural episode of Clippers Confidential, a Clutch Points podcast brought to you by me, Tomer Zarli, uh, your Clutch Points Clippers beat writer. Um, been excited to, to get this started over the last couple of weeks, and I'm uh, I'm hyped. I'm hyped to get going. Uh, Clippers season has been fun so far. Um, it's got a lot of up and down so far, um, which we've seen. They're twelve and twelve right now. Um, so. And we're entering December, which is going to be, uh, well, busy. Got a lot, a lot of big games, uh, Christmas Day games and all that. What's good, everybody? Welcome to the inaugural episode of Clippers Confidential, a Clutch Points podcast brought to you by me, Tomer Zarli, uh, your Clutch Points Clippers beat writer. Um, been excited to, to get this started over the last couple of weeks, and I'm, uh, I'm, hyped, I'm hyped to get going. Uh, Clippers season has been fun so far. Um, it's got a lot of up and down so far, um, which we've seen they're 12 and 12 right now. Um, so, and we're entering December, which is going to be, uh, well, busy. Got a lot, a lot of big games, uh, Christmas Day games and all that. Clippers are off Christmas, but anyways, I'm just rambling. Uh, my guest today for the inaugural episode is uh, none other by Mr. Justin Russo, who uh, bugs me all the time about when he can join my podcast. So I finally decided to bring him on. How you doing, Justin? I see we're lying on the first episode. That's what we're doing now. Yeah, look, this booster shot is doing things to me that I can't explain. So you don't have to forgive me. Did you get your superpower yet? Man, I tell you, I was running really fast last night. And then all of a sudden, I'm just into like, I feel like I'm on 3G right now. It's slowed down significantly. So um, definitely oh, trying to no, work my way Oh, no, you need that personal this. 5G hotspot, hot my friend. Let's see, that, that, you're the plug. You're the plug. I should have, I should have hit you up about this, but... Um, Justin, thank you for, for for coming on. I appreciate you taking the time. I know you're busy as usual, um, but l- l- let's just jump right into it. Um, Clippers, you know, we, we're coming off. They're coming off a big win over the Lakers, uh, December third, and then you know, big emotional win. You, you were there. You were there. I was there. Um, it, it, it felt like maybe they were going to turn a corner, and then they kind of fell flat against the Kings the very next night. Next night, uh, they lost by five, uh, but I don't think that, you know they never really seemed like they. Had a chance in that game. Um, maybe it was just me, but I felt like the Kings kind of controlled them just like they did the first time uh, they played. Uh, Terrence Davis, as usual, went off uh, against the Clippers, and I, I never really felt like the Clippers had a chance in that game. So um, I think it's just you know, it's just a continuation of a very up and down roller coaster type season for the Clippers, where they 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 get a big win against the Lakers and they drop to the Kings. Um, what have you made of them so far? I think the biggest thing to make of them so far is we still don't know who they are. And they're not alone in that regard in the NBA this season. Like a lot of teams, you know, you touched on their win against the Lakers. The Lakers still don't know who they are. There's a lot of teams in the league right now who, like, they're in that little mix of, you know, they're at 500, they're right around 500. And it's like you look at them and the Clippers are not alone in that regard, but it's a little bit like the Clippers – probably should have won a couple more games than they did. But on the flip side, there's a couple more games they probably should have lost than they did because, you know, you look at the early season, it's like they probably should have lost that game to OKC and they won that. Um, They possibly could have lost that game to Charlotte and they win. Same thing with Miami. So there's a couple wins in there where it's like, ooh, I don't know. But there's also a couple losses in there where you have the same feeling. So as they sit 512-12, my biggest takeaway is, We don't know who they are, and that's perfectly fine because they've yet to have one game of even, like, good health in terms of 
having Nicholas Batum, Marcus Morris, and Serge Ibaka all available for the same game. So until you see all of them on the floor, I mean, obviously I'm not including Kawhi Leonard in this, but it, once you get all of them on the floor, maybe you'll have a, a, a somewhat of a better idea. I mean, you're not wrong. I don't think they've played a single game uh, this season at uh, full health, excluding Kawhi Leonard, meaning Marcus in the lineup, Nick Batum in the lineup, and Serge Ibaka in the lineup. Um, you know, I think you know Marcus played the first two games with Batum, but Serge was out. Then Marcus missed a month. Uh, and then I think the game that Marcus returned was also the game that Nick Batum was ruled out due to health and safety protocols. Um, so, like, they just haven't had uh, th- their full lineup. And I guess Marcus and Nick have been two guys that, um, you know, when you look at this team, the way they're structured and built around PG and Reggie, uh, you-, you need those guys. You-, you need that floor spacing four, maybe floor spacing five if you want to go super small, uh, like Tyloo has liked to go at times. And without without one or both of them, it's been it's been rough. It's been rough at times. I think what I will say this: you say we don't know who they are yet. I will say I think we know that they're a scrappy defensive team. They're they're they're, they're they can be a good defensive team. They are a good defensive team so far. Um, they've got what they're still they're fourth in defensive rating this year. Um, that's even after losing eight of their last twelve games. Uh, so so defensively, I think I think they're they're okay. Um, we just don't know what they are offensively. I think they're just, they've just been all over the place. Like I said, like they, they had, they had a decent offensive showing against the Lakers. Um, I think they shot 60, 56 or 60% in that second half. Um, you know, the, the ball was moving. They were trusting the pass, like Tyloo said. And then, you know, I guess Sacramento, they just, they, 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 it's like they don't, they don't trust the pass anymore. They dribble a little too much. They take some more difficult shots. It's, um, it's it's kind of it's kind of tough to know who that team is offensively. I mean, like I said, fourth fourth best team defensively, uh, defensive rating, and then they're bottom what bottom five? They're twenty sixth in offensive rating. So um, there's just a lot to figure out on that end of the floor. I think more so than defensively. Yeah, I mean the the issue with this team right now is offense, and I think we somewhat expected that coming into the year just because. Like, just look, look, if you're without Kawhi Leonard, you're going to struggle on offense. But by the same token, you probably should have struggled a little bit more defensively than they have, and, and they've been fine defensively. So it's really hard to say what's going on. Um, you know, they're not shooting the three remotely as well as they did last season, which that's to be expected. They were one of the greatest three-point shooting teams of all time last year. So you're going to have some drop-off from that. But also, like, I, I don't know, it's it feels like a lot of guys trying to do too much rather than just, just playing the game kind of a, like, I, there's no better way for me to say it. like, it's really coming down to guys are pressing way too much to do things. And I think it's impacting a lot of stuff. Well, I know that Ty, Ty has mentioned a lot about um, attacking the paint and, and playing through drives to the paint over the last 12 games. I mean, they're ranked they're in the bottom third in the league uh, in drives per game. Now I don't know how much of that, um, directly reflects, you know, drives to the baskets, which then result in kickouts or shot attempts. But um, being in the bottom third of that of that stat doesn't really bode well for a team that has to um, get multiple efforts from guys. Like you can't just rely on PG. Um, you, you don't have a Kawhi to, to lean back on. You have to rely on everyone to kind of get involved. You need contributions from Terrence, from Luke Kennard, from Marcus Morris, Nick Batum, Serge Ibaka even. Uh, Zoo's been great. So, um I feel like ranking in the bottom third of, of drives per game, um, while it doesn't tell the whole story, um, 
is is not is, is not where you want to be for for a team that's that's trying to figure it out and get everyone involved offensively. Yeah, so over the last 10 games they're averaging 41.2 drives per game, which is really low. And if it's so low in fact, it's even lower than the number they put up last year, which was 41.9. And I feel like it should be mentioned they're playing at a faster pace this year than they did last year as well. So they're they're playing at a faster pace but also driving less which doesn't really add up because you figured, you know, with Eric Bledsoe in the fold and, you know, the drive kick swing mentality of the team that, you know, there'd be a little bit more driving and there really hasn't been, but early in the season there was, and now there's not, it's been a very odd um, kind of, it's just been a very odd string of games where it's like they really have lost their identity to some degree. So it's going to be interesting to see what they end up doing because if you end up looking through their first 14 games of the season, they averaged 43.9 drives per game. That was roughly about middle of the pack. But, you know, ever since then, you're talking about a team who they just are not doing the little things to get into the paint, and they're averaging 41.2 since then, like I said, the last 10 games. So I don't know why they're driving less. It's not like... Like I, like, I guess if I had to give a theory, actually, it'd be just because teams don't really respect their shooting anymore. Mm-hmm. So they're able to sag off and stop driving lanes. But even still, that they should drive more. But also, at the end of the day, they, they have to make their open shots, which they are getting. I mean, I, mean, I think LeBron said this the other day. Um, you know, even though they're not shooting the ball well, you know that when they're on their, when they're on their game, they can be a very good, very dangerous three-point shooting team. Um, I, I, I'm... Still trying to find out where they rank in, in, in open shots. But um, I just want to talk about Paul George real quick. Um, got off to a, to a good start in the season. Um, has, you know, what was he? He averaged 26 points, was an MVP candidate. Uh, was shooting about 46, 37, 86 splits. Um, and the, the Clippers won seven in a row after their one and four start. They were eight and four. Uh, and then in the last, I would say, 11, 12 games, he's really just fallen off. And uh, some of that is probably fatigue. Uh, he hasn't looked like he has. He's had his legs really there, um, and I think that's really reflected in, in his in his shot selection at times. But uh, over the last uh, eleven games for PG, well, last twelve, but he rested one of them. Uh, twenty three points on thirty seven percent shooting, twenty seven percent from three, uh, and ninety one percent from the free throw line. So, uh, twenty seven percent from three, uh, just just very unchar- uncharacteristic of PG. Although he does have historically in his career, he does have. So sort of drought and, and shooting struggles um, that go on for about eight to ten games, um, historically speaking, like over his career. So um, I, I don't know how you kind of get PG out of that, aside from getting him some rest here and there. Um, he's a guy who, when you watch him play, um, can be very decisive and attack the basket, and, and he looks like like an MVP caliber player. And there are other times when he's just very passive and. Um, indecisive on, on what he wants to do passing wise or shooting wise doesn't get to the rim as much um complains a bit too much when he doesn't get calls to go his way and uh, i think for for this team you you can't have that version of pg often um i, I guess you, you can withstand a few of those games because of the other guys on this team uh but i don't think you can withstand this many games of pg being kind of mediocre for lack of a better word so it's even beyond just the last 12 games. Like his last 16, 38% shooting, 27 and a half from three. I mean, I, 
I looked it up earlier today because it was actually like interesting to me. He has a 43 and a half effective field goal percentage in that time, which is just absolutely abysmal. And yet the Clippers have won nine of those 16 games. That doesn't account for the for the game that he missed against Sacramento a couple days ago. But like when you really think about it, if the Clippers are winning games and he's been that bad shooting wise, it's kind of incredible to some degree. The other weird thing, you know, you talked you talked about him complaining to the officials. He's had four games with double-digit free throws and seven games with no free throws. I don't think I've actually seen a, like a disparity split like that from a guy. I mean, we, we've seen it. I mean, officials are, are kind of officiating differently this year. Um, there's drop-offs across the league. I do think, though, and I think you brought this up a couple weeks ago, there's been – it's kind of gone too far the other way where legitimate contact is being let go. Um, they're not calling – a lot of reach contact, a lot of body contact, and they're kind of just letting guys play. Um, so I, I think that that's part of the game. But like, I, I think you just gotta, you just gotta adjust, adjust your game to it if you're, if you're PG. Um, you know, another aspect of his game that you know has looked really bad at times is, is a turnover game. I mean, right now he's, he's fourth in the league in turnovers per game, um, at four point three, uh, and he's third in total turnovers at ninety eight turnovers per game. So, I mean. That I'm that that's tough for me to attribute anything specific because there's times where I think he's trying to over over play make and guys aren't in the right spots, but there are some times where he's just he's making passes straight to the opponents or he's dribbling the ball off his foot or he's losing out of bounds and there's just, there's there's a lot of a lot of uncharacteristic kind of turnovers from PG Bonehead. this year. Yeah, and, and that kind of turnovers like that, yeah. it just defies logic. Yeah, and it's it's just, and I'm glad you said it because I, I, it's kind of what I was thinking. And just it doesn't make sense to see some of those. You're like, what, really, PG? Um, and so when you look at it like that, I, I can't I can't help but wonder if if fatigue is also a bit a part of that. Uh, I don't want to make excuses for him because everyone's playing the same schedule, but um, it's just it, it's hard to explain why he's been so careless at times and then so good other times. Yeah, so it's rather interesting because structurally, it's like. The passes he's trying to make make sense, but he's also like predetermining what he's going to do. And you can't play like that because then you have no second option. Like he's already diagnosing whether he's going to pass on a pick and roll before he, before the screen is even set. And that's not how you should be playing. You know, you look at his numbers this year, it's going to be the highest turnover percentage of his career for a full season since his third year in the league. And It's the highest usage rate he's ever had, which is understandable. So, like, you, you get into, like, the nuts and bolts of the numbers, and there, there's, like, some weird stuff where it's the it's the lowest three-point rate he's had. Excuse me. Uh, three-point rate that he's had in his career. And by that, I mean percentage of shots that are coming from three since 2016-17, which was his last year in Indiana. But he's also taking more long twos than he basically ever has like shots from 10 feet, 10 feet to the three point line. He's taken them at a higher rate than he really ever has. So it's very concerning to where you're kind of wondering, is this a guy who just doesn't want to drive because a, even when he's getting contact, he's not getting calls or B he doesn't want to wear himself out because he knows the team can't afford to have him get hurt on a drive or something like that. So, I don't know. He's he's going to have to figure it out. I mean, he's shooting 65% inside three feet this year, which is good. It's it's higher than he shot last year. 
and it's one of the highest marks of his career. But he's also getting there at a really low rate. And that's that's the concerning part because you look at it, and this is the third lowest rate he's had in his career of shots inside three feet. So if you're finishing well inside three feet, but you're not really getting there, that's also somewhat of a problem. I was just looking at his game log. He has one, two, three, four games of double-digit free throws, free throw attempts, and then an additional seven without a single free throw attempt. So just a very, yeah, very that's what weird, I was saying earlier. Yeah. yeah, very weird, weird. Um, and if you count, if you count games with just two free throws, tack on another five. So he has he has twelve games with two or fewer free throw attempts. Very strange. Very strange. I think I, I guess if you're PG, how do, how do you kind of get out of this? Like if if I guess, I think the the team wants him shooting a lot of threes because he's a good three point shooter. Uh, this this three point. Um, struggle will not last, I don't think. Um, however, I think that as as the primary, you know, ball handler creator, he's really got to put an emphasis on getting to the paint, and not just getting to the paint, but but trying to score and trying to find other guys. Um, it's a balance because then because then you're also asking him to to make some tough passes inside, and um, yeah, I think you know, I talked to Ty Lue last week, and um, he was saying this year they have more games with 20 plus turnovers than they did all of last year which is which is insane to think about but it's really just you know considering that the different guys they have in the lineup in Bledsoe and Winslow at times um considering that PG has to do a lot more playmaking and they're kind of keying in on him uh considering Reggie's been asked to do a lot more ball handling wise uh you don't have Kawhi who's who's a smart you know a smart cerebral player with the ball uh it's not that surprising but it, it's definitely uh, something they have to iron out. Um, I think defensively, though, what, what what do you think has worked best for this team uh, that that's kind of allowed them to stay in games despite you know the offense looking kind of average at times or below average? I would even say. Well, well, yeah, they've been below average offensively. I think we could all agree yeah. on that. I mean, the numbers bear it out. Like it's not like it's not like we're being harsh. They're they're just a below average offensive team for the most part. So yeah, not good. I mean, why not just call it for what it is? But defensively, I think one of the interesting parts is, like, you look at some of the guys, and there's some really wonky numbers this year. Like, the team is 9.5 points better per 100 possessions with Luke Kennard on the floor defensively as opposed to off. So you're just like, oh, wow, Luke Kennard must be some great defender. And while I think Luke Kennard's been better <laughs> defensively this year, like, I'm not I'm not sitting there during games going, Luke Kennard's the reason the defense is better. Like, no. You know what the key I, is? I think... He got engaged. No, yeah. He got engaged, and that means he's also been engaged defensively. Boom. Okay. Um, this has been a... Tr- <laughs> that, this, this episode never needs to see the light of day now. Um... And it's so like here's the interesting one is the team being nine and a half points uh, worse defensively with Eric Bledsoe on the floor. Now, people will hear that and be like, well, that that's, you know, that's justified because for whatever reason, you know, people think Bledsoe has been awful and they're more than welcome to their own opinion. But then you hear like how Ty Lue talks about him and you hear how PG talks about him. And I think part of the defensive like. Kind of like the reason they've been fine defensively and even good, I think has a lot to do with Eric Bledsoe because PG doesn't have to guard the other team's best player every night. And he doesn't have to get into physical matchups more than he, he needs to in order to, while he is struggling 
offensively. Like, he, he doesn't have to wear himself out even more on the defensive end. So, I think it's allowed the Clippers to play more, um, like, opportunistic defensive styles to where PG's been really good as the low man defensively and as a rover. I yeah. think he's been okay on the ball, but I think he's been so much better off the ball. So I think that's where the Bledsoe thing helps. I think Zubats has been great inside, even though the numbers will say he has, like the numbers will tell you their defense has been 10 points better with him off, which I mean, those are what the numbers say, but we've also seen it to where he's the anchor defensively and he's a big part of the reason they're good defensively. So um, like, honestly, I just think people are trying like as weird as that sounds, I just think they're trying defensively and that's a big part of it. Now, if they could turn some of those defensive stops into transition buckets is another story. Uh, yeah. I, I, I can't put my finger on why this team is so bad in transition. Um, I, other than guys just being too passive. I mean, they're getting, they get good outside looks when they push the ball. I, it, it, it's just very strange with this team. Very strange. I, I'm, I'm not sure. According to cleaning the glass, they're 22nd in the league in transition efficiency. Oh, well, screw me. And, <laughs> no, 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 that's bad. That's, that's not good. It's just that the, the downside for them also is they're in transition. They have the seventh highest percentage of plays in transition. So they're getting out in transition. They're just not converting them at a rate that's conducive to some success, which is funny because the team above, the team that they're tied with in terms of transition uh, efficiency is Golden State and Golden State's fifth in frequency. So these are two teams really high in frequency that just can't score in transition for some reason. But Golden <laughs> State's been so good offensively in the half court. They're the best offensive half court team in the league. And the Clippers are middle of the pack. So th that sums up a little bit of the problems that the Clippers are having. Well, I mean, let, let's look at their, at their upcoming schedule to see if they can kind of get on a roll here. They, get, they, they, they got Portland. Uh, they got Boston at home this week. Um, two day two day break, which means probably practice Friday. Then they got Orlando and Phoenix. Um, this is this week right now, so they have Portland, Boston, Orlando, and Phoenix. Um, Portland, they will be without um, Damian Lillard, I believe, and Anthony Simons. I think CJ yeah. McCollum is playing; is probable. Boston, CJ McCollum is probable, and Nazir Little is questionable. Right, uh, Boston. Um, they have been playing without Jalen Brown here and there, and Al Horford is also dealing with back injuries, so that could be something to watch. Uh, Orlando has been playing well with their two-big lineup with Wendell Carter and Mo Bamba. Uh, they've, they've been very impressive. I know they haven't won as many games as they would like, uh, but that Saturday 12.30 p.m. game here um, might, might prove a little difficult. And then they've got Phoenix uh, a, a week, from, a week from, from Monday, this past Monday. So... Um, and that's at home. Three, three at home, Portland on the road. How, what do you think they go on this in this four-game stretch here? I think anything worse than two and two is pretty bad. Like, like they have to beat Portland just because Lillard's not there. And I understand the Clippers are going to be without Batum again, but they have to beat Portland because it would win the season series against Portland, and you have that tiebreaker just in case you're tied for like, – like, at the end of the year, if you're, if you're in – if you're in a race for the 60 with Portland and you own that tiebreaker, you guarantee yourself of staying out of the playing play game. Yep, huge. So, yeah, you have to win this game. It's it's a massive game. Just as the Lakers game was massive to get an early jump on the tiebreaker scenario there. But I think they beat Portland. I think they lose to Boston. 
I'm iffy on the Orlando game, but I'll lean towards win, and I think they lose to Phoenix. Phoenix is just really good. Phoenix has been playing the last couple games without Devin Booker. Um, he, he is out with a hamstring then, injury. Uh, I think per Woj on the 1st of December, he said he's expected to miss a couple games. I don't know what that means for his status um, on the 13th against the Clippers, but um, yeah, that, that's a big one there. Um, if only for so the just, rivalry aspect of it from this past playoffs. So just so you know, um, when we were, as we're recording this, uh, Phoenix plays Monday, December 6th. Then they're off for three days before playing Boston and then have another two days off before the Clippers. So there's only basically one game for them in like six days before they run into the Clippers. Wow. So I think Booker will be back. Okay, that, that, that's something worth monitoring. As of right now, Devin Booker is being ruled out a day in advance. But again, they, they, they kind of say it's more of a precautionary thing with him. Um, they, they just don't want him to you know, re-aggravate or anything like that. So I would, I would also guess that he's probably back by then. Um, I'm kind of with you on that. Anything worse than 2-2 two and two is just uh, is, is downright worrisome because, uh, like you said, Portland without Lillard, I think you have to win. Um, Boston, uh, I think they've had, they've had games where they play really well, and they've had games where just they lose and it's very confusing to watch them. Um, just, just their overall but just, style of But play. every Clipper-Boston game, every Clipper-Boston game is some craziness, though. So we have to remember that. <laughs> That's true as well. That's true. I remember seeing a lot of Laker fans on Twitter going, who do we vote for? Who do we root for here? <laughs> and everyone was like, chaos. Root for chaos. Um, and, and every game was chaos. Yeah. I mean, wasn't there that, that Jason Tatum game-tying shot a couple years ago with PG? Uh, well, well in one PG, season, they... Well, in one season, they played an overtime game and a double overtime game. The last time these two teams, like the, the last game between these two teams, that wasn't a close game whatsoever was March 11th, 2019. The Clippers won that in a blowout. Their last four meetings have been a three-point Clippers overtime win, an eight-point Boston double overtime win, a four-point Boston win, and a five-point Boston win. Every game is just like nail-biter. Yeah, that's... That's I think I think the biggest game I remember is probably the comeback against Boston a couple of years ago after the Zubats uh, Shamit trade I want to say uh, where I think Shamit had a big game Zu had a, had a good game uh, and they won in Boston at a comeback um, yeah I, I think I think they beat Orlando I think Orlando is um, I, I hope they I I would hope they could beat Orlando I think they, while their two big lineups played really well um, I think they lack a bit of depth. And I think that's kind of where you can, where you can attack them in their second unit. Um, I think Jalen Suggs is also out right now he, with, with a wrist injury. So um, he's not expected back anytime soon. So um, you have some opportunities to, to capitalize there. And then, and then the Suns, um, you know, that's just going to be a game to, to watch for the, the Western Conference Finals rematch. But other than that, uh, I don't know if you can expect the Clippers to win that one. Given how well Phoenix has played, how well you know Chris Paul is playing, Mikhail Bridges, um, they're just like you said, they're, they're they're a powerhouse just steaming through the rest of the NBA right now. So, um, I'm I'm gonna give you a fun Orlando fact. You ready? Oh no. They're five and nineteen. I'm gonna name you their five wins. Okay. Okay. At New York, at Minnesota, home against Utah, at New York, home against Denver. So they've beaten some fairly good teams. <laughs> yeah, and Franz Wagner is no joke. He's good. Yeah, I, 
<laughs> so so that game again won't be easy. I think you can expect the Clippers to, to win that one, but um, sheesh. Yeah, I don't I, I don't know what you make of that one because you know Mo Bamba's playing well, Wendell Carter's playing, well. Cole Anthony also you know averaging twenty six and six this year. Um, Franz Wagner, like you said, there's there's a lot of guys there, a lot of guys who can kind of pop off. Terrence Ross for some reason likes playing the Clippers as well, so. We'll, we'll oh, see how that have one 40 goes. That night. He'll probably have 40 that night, so I mean, whatever. Terrence Davis and Jonas Valanciunas just went Steph on them. So, um, yeah. yeah. All right, so you're predicting 2-2. Two and two. You're predicting anything better than 2-2 two and two? or at least 2-2? Two and two? I'll, say, I'll say exactly 2-2. Two and two. Okay. Just, just for the sake of being different, I'll say 3-1. and one. I think they beat Portland, Boston, and Orlando. I think they lose to Phoenix in this next four-game stretch. I'll say that. I like the positivity. Well, I'm trying to be different here. I don't want to say the same thing. You know what I mean? Just, we're, we're trying to be different here. We're different. I got the booster the now. I'm different. Um, oh, my God. Anything, uh, anything you want to add, Justin, before we hop off? I know you got you to gotta run. Uh, not really. I mean, in a weird way, I know people are, are kind of freaking out because they're 500 and all that stuff. And. I understand that their schedule is not going to get any easier because you end up looking at it. Their remaining strength of schedule, they have the fifth toughest remaining strength of schedule. Like, that's a fact in the NBA. It's just they're going to have to bide enough time to where they get everybody back, meaning, and when I say everybody, I do not mean Kawhi. Just, just Kawhi's on the back burner. Whenever we talk about them getting healthy, we don't mean Kawhi. We, we mean the players that are, that are able to play right now. So just get healthy and then maybe see what you have. Um, I'm very interested to see what the starting lineup looks like in Portland because uh, Ty benched Serge Ibaka for the entire second half against uh, Sacramento the other night. So maybe maybe he goes with a smaller starting lineup again, or maybe he just I don't know I don't know. It's it's going to be rather interesting to find out. I believe he mentioned that may have been a minutes restriction thing coming off a of back to back, but I'm not entirely sure. Um, okay, but either way. Yeah, Justin, you want to, you want to plug your you want to plug your your Twitter app where they can find your work, please. Not really. Oh come on, don't be so humble. All right, uh, you can find me at Fly by Night F L Y B Y K N I T E. So if you want to follow along there, go right ahead, and I'll bore you to death. Yeah, if you like Formula One, this is your guy. That's uh, right. Just flooding my timeline with with racing stuff, which actually is not bad. I'll, I'll say that. It's not I'm bad. sorry, it's 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 insane stuff right now. <laughs> this coming weekend. Everyone needs to watch this race. I'm just telling you. It is the championship decider. The championship standings are all tied between Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen. It's probably the single greatest title race, chase, whatever, in, in the history of, of motorsports. So, and it's an insane rivalry. So everyone needs to tune in on Sunday. I forget what time the race is going to be. It's in uh, Abu Dhabi, so it's probably like 5 a.m. Pacific time or something. And that's going to be Sunday? Sunday, okay. Sunday. Okay, yeah. Sunday, 5 a.m. Sunday, Sunday, on, Sunday. On the West Coast, wow. Well, uh, Justin, thank you for joining on. I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, for those of you who are, you know, just joining us for the first time, well, actually, you are joining us for the first time. This is the first episode. Um, yeah, make sure to follow Clutch Points. Make sure to follow us on, on Clipper Nation. Uh, make sure to follow me, Tomer Zarli, on, on social media. I'll be give, giving you updated on all things Clippers over the next couple uh, months and as the season goes on and uh, yeah I hope you guys enjoyed we'll have more of these coming up for you weekly and uh, you know 
more guests coming on. So hope you guys enjoyed, and we will catch you guys next time. Peace. Uh...